Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 65, in Nana. I can tell that you really like the new mics because you just spoke very sexily into the new microphone. Oh my God, did I really? Yeah. I You're didn't like, intend to. Episode 65, <laughs> in Nana. Like, uh, fame has changed us. Yeah. And now I use my broadcaster voice. Your broadcaster voice. It's clearly. very RP, darling. Now I've been listening to a lot of The Crown. Checks out, checks yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Listening to, watching, I don't know, man. Media's a lie. I'm very... So the episode. <laughs> I'm very red wine. Yep, yep. Very red wine. Uh, and this bit is great. Yes, it is. I don't remember anything about really? it. <laughs> okay. Because we recorded it a week ago. Okay. And um, it's... Oh, now I'm getting some images. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. All right. It's good. It's good. It's good. It, it is a good one. It's don't one worry. of my favorites. Don't worry. Uh, also one of my favorites. Do you want to guess who? Uh, our patrons. Our patrons. Especially our new ones. Yes. Welcome to Joseph, Sarah, Heather, James, and Danielle. And thanks as always to our uh, beautiful supporting producers who would totally look badass walking into hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil, Philip, Julie, Sarah, Christina, Josh, Eeyore, Sandra, Cammie, Lindsay, Ryan, Shelby, Lynn, Mercedes, Phil, Catherine, and Deborah. You all wear the crown of heaven in our heart. Mm. And to our legend level patrons. Scepter of the sky. Scepters of the sky for us and our hearts. Mm-hmm. Leanne, Ashley, Cassie, Ashley Marie bridge and shannon welcome Woo! uh we want to remind you guys again we have some wonderful shows that we are part of a collective a podcast with so mm-hmm. you probably heard us mention at least no you probably heard us mention all of them at least <laughs> once yes um if you are interested in dungeons and dragons queerness and like amazing storytelling that feature some of the creatures that we talk about on spirits you should check out join the party they just wrapped up one of their uh arcs campaign arcs and it's a blast they go to a place called duven boosters and it's exactly as wonderful as you think it is yeah and you can go to join the slash recap we made like a nice recap of the first 11 episodes yeah that way you don't have to like listen to hours and hours of stuff if you want to jump in Mm -hmm. um but it's really good i co-host it i play a like lesbian skater teen um and it is the funnest like just storytelling with buds you it know is, that other people great. can participate in and julia you this week are also guest starring on another multitude show yes. potterless potterless uh, potterless is the story of mike schubert who is a 25 year old man who's reading the harry potter books for the first time and it's listen precious. as as will williams said today on twitter if you love harry potter and also joy you should listen to potterless i know whether you have read Harry Potter, you haven't read Harry Potter, you watched the movies once, you never watched them at all, whatever. Like every single person who has any kind of relationship to Harry Potter, including none, mm-hmm. can enjoy the show. It's wonderful. Mike does an excellent job recapping all of the chapters. So even if you haven't picked up the books in a while or you've never picked up the books at all, uh, you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. And finally, we have a show called Waystation. Me and Julia and editor Eric, who is now safely back home after his ghost oh, napping. God. 
thank God, uh, we watch a different episode of the like queer Canadian um, supernatural esque like monster of the week style TV show Lost Girl, which is on Netflix to binge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we watch an episode every two weeks and we talk about it. And Joy gives us mythology corner. We critique some wigs. Uh, there's a lot of wigs. There's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of threesome related discussion mm-hmm. uh, in last week's episode. And uh, yeah, it is it is super super fun. And we love it a lot. That's called Waystation. It is great. Check it out. We got links in those descriptions, yo. If you want to drink along with this episode or just are wondering what we're drinking, we were drinking some really nice pomegranate martinis, which if you are a $4 patron, it'll arrive in your email at uh, whenever the episode drops. So you can make a drink and listen along. You don't have to do it at six in the morning when we drop the episode. I mean, you don't, but uh, you but can. It's five o'clock somewhere. We're not going to tell you what to do. Your mom's plaque says in her kitchen. Yes, it does. And um, we recommend that you that you drink along if you're so inclined. Pomegranates in them are amazing. Just like cut it open, put it in a bowl of water, get all the seeds out. Ugh. I can't believe you just put my mom on blast. I mean, I think it's a motto to live by. Okay. Yeah. That's a Jimmy Buffett <laughs> motto. We can live by it. It's fine. Anyway, thank you all very much for listening. Thank you for talking to us on Twitter. We love it. Thank you for talking to us in our Facebook group. So much fun to share your urban legends, to share your articles, to share your art for uh, Art Meme Friday. And um, we we love you so much. We do. Are Jimmy Buffett and Warren Buffett related? No. Okay. I, I don't think so. <gasps> Illuminati confirmed. <laughs> Enjoy Spirits Podcast, episode 65, Inanna. We're such nerds. That's what they come for, Jules. (laughs) Amanda, you know the saying, right? Uh, All's fair in love and war. I do. Yes. I don't even know who said that. Is that a Shakespeare quote? It is Shakespeare. Okay. What play is it from? I think Trellis and Cressida, but I could be wrong. Or Julius Caesar. I don't know. I don't know either. It feels almost like a, what's the, (laughs) you're going to Google it right now. Uh, What's the one where it's a war one also in Rome? Coriolanus. Uh, Coriolanus. Yeah, that that seems right. I don't think it is right, but it seems right. Uh, the second, go- uh, I, I typed all's F and then the first one was all's fair in middle school. I don't know what that is. Uh, that's probably a middle schooler book. That's what I'm going to guess. Oh, you know, it's probably that like shitty, like uh, diary of a wimpy kid kind of thing. Oh, no. <laughs> Hold on. This is, this is a great segue we've made within two minutes of us starting. And I was just going to brag about how we only had 90 seconds of pre-em uh, episode banter for Eric to cut, but that's not true. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Interesting. What is it? It comes from Don Quixote. Really? Not Shakespeare. Wouldn't have guessed that. Would not have guessed. I would have gotten that wrong in HQ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so much for English and history major. Am I right? Uh, well... Well, also a great start. <laughs> do it great. Super punchy. Let's do this. Amanda, I'm curious as to how often you realize that those things surprisingly cross over together in ancient Sumerian mythology. Uh, that I don't know. I mean, uh, proverb wise, you know, we talk about wars of the heart. We talk about fighting for affection. We mm-hmm. talk about heartbreak, you know, and all of these kind of conquering terminologies. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they are tied together. But I don't know very much at all about ancient Sumerian mythology. That's great, because I'm going to tell you about it today. I bet in about 45 minutes, I'm going to know a lot more. Uh, you will. You will indeed. I hope so. Um, so love and war cross over quite a bit uh, in for one goddess in particular, and that is the goddess Inanna. Ooh, I like her name. Yeah, she's Very great. close to Inara, who is a rogue uh, <laughs> assassin that I play in during the party. Plug, plug, plug. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, she's no, also it's great. She's very adorable. big into fighting and very big into love. <laughs>
She is. She is indeed. Fair warning in advance, Inanna predated a lot of different cultures, and you might notice some influences that she had on various goddesses that existed before her. Mm -hmm. For example, the Assyrian goddess Ishtar, the Phoenician Astarte, Aphrodite from Greek mythology, and therefore Venus from Roman. So this, these are goddesses that Inanna inspired. Yes, because she predated them. Yeah, cool. And we know how much we love synchronization. Oh, we super do. So right off the bat, we know that Inanna is the Sumerian goddess of love, sensuality, fertility, procreation, and of course, war. You had me till the war. Yep. Duh, come on. I know. I'm, I'm wait, just saying. I'm surprised. Yes. And I'm curious. And I am here with <laughs> And you. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, in many stories, she is the daughter of Enki, who is the god of wisdom, fresh water, magic, and a bunch of other stuff, depending on the source or time period. Sounds like Prospero. Kinda, yeah. since we're on that Shakespeare grind. I mean, apparently the false Shakespeare grind. The which, false Shakespeare whatever. grind. That's okay. That's a good band name. Mm. The false Shakespeare grind. I know. Because like, if you just saved enough authority, like, oh, that comes from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Who's going to say no? I mean, no one. I guess a Don Quixote scholar. <laughs> also, you can't <laughs> remember all of the lines from Shakespeare. There's so many plays and so many lines. Yeah, he originated so much more than we actually know. And like a bunch of words and stuff. Anyway, we're getting off track again. <laughs> um, so other myths say that Inanna is the daughter of Nana, who is the god of the moon and wisdom. Personally, I say why not both? Let her have her wisdom, dads. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. She is said to be the twin sister of the sun god Utu or Shamash, but we're going to focus on Inanna for the most part in this episode. All right. You know what we don't talk about enough, Amanda? The importance of intersectional feminism in modern policy. I mean, we do talk about that quite a bit on the we show. We do talk about that a lot. For, we don't for... talk a lot about the superiority of Belgian beers. That yeah. is a hot take. We don't talk a lot about the dismissal that we face when going into cocktail bars and ordering bourbon or like really like junipery gin drinks and bartenders are like are you sure and we're like try me motherfucker try me motherfucker um what do we talk about (laughs) that's a good question uh why the gods and goddesses we talk about in our episodes have such a prominent place in their society huh that's true like why they they made the cultural selection to become really important right exactly so there are so many gods and goddesses why do some only exist in a few stories and then others really really dominate the storytelling yeah i guess i really just take it for given you know that there's going to be love god war god Mm -hmm. peace god wisdom god and um i don't think about why those are the gods that end up representing those things right uh so for example zeus versus zephyrus would be a great example why is zephyrus in so few stories but zeus is in so many don't know that kind of begs the question why is anana who you know becomes at the height of her power and popularity known as the queen of heaven to the sumerian people why is she so prominent why is she so popular yeah um and we can thank the work of enhu duana who is an akkadian poet and high priestess So not only was she a badass poet and the daughter of a Mesopotamian king, Sargon of Akkad, but she was the high priestess at the most prominent of the Sumerian temples in the city of Ur. Oh my god. A, all of these names are just knocking it out of the park. These these are like, I want a graphic novel series about every single one of the characters we've met so far. Mm -hmm. And also, is there any bad high priestess? Like, are there any high priestesses who are not fucking badass? Ooh, okay, so this is going to put me on a whole other tangent. But it's really interesting whenever you have sort of like an evil high priestess character, it's yeah. always like a very um, sexualized woman. Oh, for sure. All yeah. the time. Yeah, like so, sex, power, 
evilness kind of all wrapped up together. Right. So, and it, and this is like a media thing, but it always implies that because this woman is so sexual, that's how she became, like, came into power. Yeah. And also she can't be powerful without also being sexually. Yeah. Alive. That's some bullshit. And I'm not a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to talk about fucking this one because it's amazing okay so she becomes insanely important because she's given the responsibility of melding the sumerian gods with the akkadian ones after the two kingdoms are united so she's in charge of creating stability for the empire based on these two religions coming together no pressure so enhe duana combines inanna with ishtar uh and is also this badass because she uses poetry psalms and prayer to solidify the worship of the goddess oh my god yeah i don't know i can't think of a thing that's harder than changing the way and whom you know people value like saying this thing that you're used to turning to support for you might have to turn to a different version of that thing or a whole different one altogether and the ways in which you're used to getting support and solidarity you know and and peace we're now going to change and that is crazy. Also, we're talking about this revolutionary idea that, hey, in order to worship this goddess who is associated with like sensuality and fertility and also war, we're going to sing songs. We're going to tell poetry about her and like sing her praises literally to the heavens. And that's how she becomes so cemented in the society. Yeah, right. People remember psalms. They yeah. remember songs. They remember poems. Right. And it's like, it's a very unifying thing. Yeah. And as someone who's, you know, studied poetry in college, I'm sure you can talk about sort of the universal experience of poetry and song in storytelling you know what I mean and also as an instructional device Um, I I was a research assistant in college for a professor who focused on recitation like reading poetry out loud as a pedagogical tool so as a way for yeah kids especially she focused in Britain that's where she grew up Mm -hmm. Um, and so in the UK really until very recently memorizing and reciting poetry was like a thing that everybody did and everyone's parents knew like rhyme of the ancient mariner you know and like various poems um and not only is it like a nation building thing where you know like we know the pledge of allegiance and we know the state song and whatever um you know it was just it's just like body of work that everybody was expected to know and then later in life to be able just to reference like in the way that we can sling shakespeare quotes at each other or in the way that you can rap the raven i can i can Link, link in the description. Yeah, link in the description. <laughs> but anyway, her research is so interesting. She actually wrote a book about this, which I'll put in the description as well. Yes, please. There's something about the like sing-songy nature of things that are set to meter, things that rhyme, especially, where it's just like it's trance making um, and it allows you to cram more stuff into your head than you could if you were just memorizing facts or prose. Yeah, I. that's it's so cool it's one of my favorite like aspects of religious history yeah is the idea of how gods and goddesses were worshipped and this is such a this is such a revolutionary thing at the time it's really cool yeah and now it's like you know as the rise of free verse and like modernism and stuff like made poems less kind of traditional structured Mm rhymey that kind of fell out of favor um slowly over over the 20th century but i'd be really curious too like we hear people quote bible verses all the time Mm -hmm. and it's always like you know a certain number of words like you can't memorize like a you know hundred word bible passages mm-hmm. easily so i'd be really curious to see if listeners know of any like you know uh, textual like linguistic analysis of certain versions of the bible and how the sentences are chopped up like i would kind of i would posit probably that the sentences are likely shorter than average so that you know it can be more like give little units of it for people to remember um and and like the quotable portions i bet are like have a very narrow like statistical 
average length. Like I bet they're all kind of very similar. Yeah, especially New Testament stuff. I I would imagine. I don't yeah. know. Get get out of biblical folks. Uh, so because of uh, Enhudwana, we get some really great stories about Inanna from many ancient Mesopotamian myths. Yeah, and talk about reasons why we remember her. You know, if they're freaking committed to poetry and song, that's exactly. a great way to remember. Yeah, it's so freaking cool. Uh, so the first we're going to tell is the story of Inanna and the Hulupu tree. Ooh. Which is adorable. I just like the name. I Hulupu. love <laughs> all, all the names, Julia. 11 out of 10 on the names. Yeah, they're really I, good. I'm at like, we rate doggos level on these names. <laughs> 10 out of 10 wood pet. <laughs> yeah, 13 out of 10 poor boy so pure. <laughs> so Enki, uh, the god of wisdom and Inanna's dad, attempts to visit the underworld, which is ruled by Erish Kagal. Rutro. Enki's efforts to go to the underworld cause a great storm. Arguably, this is the same flood that we talked about when we talk about the flood in Genesis, or shout out to our first roundup episode, Great Floods. Great Floods. I was going to mention it earlier, there but that's go. where our, our first visit to Sumeria was. Yeah. The result of the storm is a tree that grows besides the Euphrates, which is one of the main rivers and was super important to Mesopotamians. Yes. Do you remember the two rivers? The Tigris and the Euphrates. Yeah, baby. I'm proud of you. You remember your a push, st- not a push, uh, yeah. your world history. Stuff. Yes, world history, <laughs> if you world. Shout out to our very hot eighth grade uh, world history teacher. Ninth grade? Ninth grade. Ninth grade. With the She's tattoo on her. She had a tattoo yeah, on her yeah. ankle. Mm-hmm. It was world, it was, it was mind blowing. <laughs> uh, so this tree that was growing besides the Euphrates is pulled up by the storm. Inanna finds the tree and takes it to her sacred garden to nurture it, hoping that it will grow in size and she can make it into a throne and a bed. Ooh. Uh, but before the tree can grow to full maturity, three creatures find the garden and make a home out of the tree. A serpent, an Anzu bird, and the dark maid Lilith. And this is the same Lilith from certain Hebrew texts that are supposed to be the first wife of Adam. Yes. Who later in certain Christian and Judean texts will call her the first succubus. Right. Which is really cool. Yes. There's a lot of like... Or vampire, depending on the story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of references to that. Like that name is a very popular, like vampiric, like high horror. I don't know what to call that genre, but like, like like capital R romantic horror. Mm -hmm. Huh. Very like Cthulhu-esque. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Inanna cries because she cannot get the creatures to leave her tree. Uh, but the creatures are obviously not moved by her tears because they're like kind of portrayed as evil. And can I get a visual on this bird? What kind of bird are we talking? What, what, what kind I'm, of bird I'm picturing like an evil version of that big bird from Up. Oh, good. Okay. I was picturing like a toucan, but grayscale. Don't know why my brain went there. Like Like the Jungle Book. You know? Yeah. All right. I could see that. I'm also kind of picturing now the, um, like, sad phoenix from Harry oh, Potter. sure. Which I can't sure. remember the name of the Augury, I guess, maybe? Or something? I guess so. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds about right. send us your sketches, people. <laughs> send us your sketches of this creepy bird. <laughs> um... So she calls for her brothers for help to remove the beasts, first calling her twin Utu, who refuses to help her. Uh, the next person she calls is Gilgamesh, you know, from the epic. Oh, man. Gilgamesh on speed dial, man. <laughs> he puts on armor, takes his axe, and then kills the snake. The Anzu bird and Lilith flee, and Gilgamesh and the men of Uruk take the tree and turn it into a throne and bed for Inanna. Uh, like chop it down, cut it up, construct those yep. things. Okay, cool. Like carve it for her. Wow. That's dope as hell. Yeah. This story actually leads into our next one, which is the story of Inanna and the God of Wisdom. Uh, Inanna goes to visit the God of Wisdom after she has taken her throne. And so if you'll remember correctly, that's Enki, her father. Yes. Um, Enki has a servant greet her and invite her to share food with him. And this is God of the Moon? 
uh, no, this is Enki, who is the god of wisdom, fresh water, and magic. Okay, but just like humanoid type, normal. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> He's a normal type. <laughs> I was. I, I don't know. I was picturing like a like a. a man in the moon type face i gotcha no he's he's like pretty chill enki and anana sit down for a drink and enki gets more than a little bit drunk Ooh, always a great turn in a story so he begins bestowing meh powers on anana so in sumerian mythology meh is one of the decrees of the gods that is the foundation for basically everything in society uh social institutions religious practices technologies anything that makes civilization civilization that reminds me of Sharia in Islam. Like there's certain things that the Quran says, and then there are certain rules and things that like scholars and, you know, faith leaders um, help you to live your life by. Over right. Time. The rules that govern society. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like, kind of like the testaments. Uh, I mean, Leviticus. The, yeah, like, that, yeah. Like Leviticus, but also the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. Sure. Yeah. Or like all like there are Ten Commandments. Great. And then there are like so many other ways that you can, you know. Uh, decide and kind of influence how people exactly. work. The Mez were actually collected by the god Enlil, who is the god of wind, earth, and storms. So he's like a scribe? Uh, or like physically bestowed? They're, phys- they're like physical manifestations. They're power in which the gods are like channeling huh. these things. Um, so Enlil hands these over to Enki. Uh, now, Inanna thought Enki was getting a little bit too big with his boots for all this power that he was been given. Hmm. Uh, so Inanna begins complaining to her father that she's been given the short end of the stick when it comes to her divine spheres of influence. At this point, she is the goddess of sexuality and womanhood and nothing else. I mean, I can see how that would be like frowned upon yeah. and like shoved into a corner. Yes. Uh, so Enki starts giving her the mess, uh, bestowing her with more power. And she's like just accepting these set of gifts until Enki has given her all of the powers. Oh my gosh. Because he just like got drunk. It was like, I love yeah, you, daughter. Love yeah. you. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want the societal structure? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Agriculture? Yeah, you just have it. Take it's it, great. take it, it's take great. it. When Enki finally sobers up, however, Inanna has left and has taken all of the met with her. Amazing. Uh, she has sailed back to her garden at this point, accompanied by Ninshabur, who is the messenger goddess and her second in command. Which I is love it. Great. I love, I love it. I'm just picturing them at like the prow of a ship, you know, just like standing there with the with the first mate behind her. Oh. Yep. Uh, so Enki sends servants after her to try to retrieve the meh, but Ninshabar is able to fight them all off. Hmm. The two return to her garden in Uruk, and she makes it known that she will bestow the powers of the meh to the mortals that live in the city. So she becomes the benefactress <gasps> of all mankind by giving them the tools that they need in order to create a civilization. Is she like the divine source of self-rule? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. So Enki, understanding that she wasn't going to use all the powers for herself, allows the humans to receive the gifts and calls off his servant from hunting her down. That is so much more profound than like Prometheus. Than who the, who's Prometheus. the fire? Prometheus. You right? got it. Yeah. 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 Oh, all right. Hey, I'm going. proud of you. That's thank good. You. <laughs> but, but like, okay, it's like fire. Great. Thank you. I'm glad for like this foundational tool of society. But yeah, for yeah. someone else to be like, hey, you have the actual divine right to govern this stuff for yourself. Yeah. Like that gets at my like democratic bleeding heart, mm. you know? I know. I understand. That's oh, real good. So good. Now at this point, Inanna is considered a young goddess. Uh, so a story about her courtship and marriage is not uncommon. I thought you were going to say, so she dropped her first EP. She young did. Goddess. She dropped her first EP. <laughs> <laughs> So Utu, the sun god, and her brother, as we talked about before, helps to prepare Inanna for marriage and selecting a mate by assisting her in weaving her bridal sheet. Cool. Yeah. Utu also suggests that his sister take Dumuzi as her mate. 
and Nana has it set in her mind that she wants to marry a farmer, which like, girl, same. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> but Demuzi is a shepherd and she kind of balks at the suggestion that they would make a good match. Um, are we going to sing the entirety of The Farmer and the Cowman or no? Um, yes, yes, we are. <laughs> One man likes pokes to a cow push with a plow. Ease. The other farmer steals his butter and cheese. <laughs> we just did different lines we into did, the mic at the same time. Yes, one man likes to push a plow, the other likes to chase a cow, but that's no reason why they can't be friends. God, I love that song. Okay, but let's talk about this for a second, because apparently this has something to do with the fact that the Sumerians would argue about land usage. So yeah. they would argue, should the land be used by farmers to plant their crops, or should it be used by shepherds to uh, that allow their herds to range over the land? Uh, AKA the background plot of Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> Which also the plot of Oklahoma is, can we be a state now? Yeah, the, the plot of Oklahoma is like, everything's uncertain, like relationships and statehood and like industry. Listen, Let's sing. Territory folks should stick together. Territory folks should all be pals. Cowboys dance with the farmer's daughters. Farmers dance with the rancher's gals. Okay, we're good. Are you I, okay? I feel like I could run a marathon right okay. now. Still, Utu insisted that the two of them uh, should meet, and it does not go well at first. Oh, no. They basically go like full much ado about nothing. Bring yes. it back to Shakespeare again. They hated each other, they fought, and then they were got into each other and then they get it on uh so the <laughs> classic sex, tales all this time the sex is so good between them in fact that the land became more fruitful as a result of their union oh my god yeah this is the best thing i've ever heard uh this is also this also like becomes a thing uh where the kings of uruk uh would establish their legitimacy through a sacred marriage ceremony where the kings would play the role of demuzi and then would have sex with a high priestess of anana i mean i get it yeah yeah one of the you know kind of duties of the ruler is to make sure that people can make a living and be fed and stay healthy and that the land is is fertile and so i completely get how they would want to like have all things aligned when they start their rule right and we also saw that with the mermaid queen we, we were did. talking about the Javanese mermaid queen. We did. The, um, all of the lines of kings have this like spiritual and also like vaguely romantic relationship with this goddess. Yeah. And also uh, kind of the source of power of the grandfather of our uh, Korean um, rice king. Yeah. Oh, I like that. <laughs> my, my dragon king. My good, good dragon king. I know. We like him. Do you want to go sing some musicals and refill our wine? Let's do it. All right. All right, Amanda, now that we have our wine again. We do. Uh, I sang. I'm all right. Got it out of my system. I'm glad. I'm really glad. You did a little bit of a square dancing. It was very it's cute. a little jig. It was, it was adorable. <laughs> we talked a little bit about who we would marry from uh, the fucking Oklahoma m- musical. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of no's from me. No. Probably go with the farmer over the cowman, though. Yeah, that's fair. I like a good cowboy, though. I was just going to say, I, f- I feel like you would definitely choose cowmen. See, yeah. Julie, this is why part of why we're so compatible as best friends, because we never choose the same thing. Yeah, that's There's true. enough for both of us. There is. There's <laughs> enough to go around. There's enough Hugh Jackman to go around. <laughs> so finally, we come across the last and best story of Inanna, uh, The Descent of Inanna, which is told in the form of a poem that was written somewhere between 1900 and 1600 BCE. Oh, my word. That is very old. Yes. Uh, Here are the opening lines. Okay. From the great above, she opened her ear to the great below. From the great above, the goddess opened her ear to the great below. From the great above, Inanna opened her ear to the great below. I'm 
wrapped. Yes, it's already frankly. really good. Yes, it is. I know you always love a good poem. <sighs> I try to include poetry whenever I can. I know. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. It's also, like, you, how, how do people frame the story? Like, we know now all that there is to know about the goddess, but how do they like to remember her? Mm-hmm. People are like, a story about Anana. Ooh, you know, like, what is the lens on that story that gets people's, like, little arm hair standing up, you know? It's all for you, babe. It's all for you. So Inanna starts the story dressed to the nines. The crown of heaven is on her head. Beads are around her neck. She's wearing a breastplate, golden rings, and is carrying a scepter. Great start. Sidebar, can we just discuss how whenever you look at Egyptian and Sumerian and Persian jewelry in museums, you're like, yeah, I would wear that. I would wear all of it. Isn't it amazing how human beings have been like, yep, that, that's how you do it. That's, that's how you look. adorn an ear. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm it into is. it. Ugh, so good. She is about to enter the underworld, and Nishabar is by her side and she tells the messenger goddess how to come to her aid if she fails to return when expected. Oh, good. Like, if I don't come back in 24 hours, call the cops. Yeah. All right. So Inanna then knocks loudly and demands entrance to the underworld. Neti, who is the chief gatekeeper, asks who she is, and she answers, I am Inanna, queen of heaven. Whoa. Just such an image, you know? Like, standing there, scepter, beads, bracelets, fucking dress, like hands on hips, you know, looking up at the gates of the underworld. Bitch, this is who I am. I love it. Uh, So when Neti asks why she wishes to enter the land, quote, from which no traveler returns, Anana answers, because my older sister, Erish Kagal, her husband, Gugalana, the bull of heaven has died, and I come to witness the funeral rites. Oh. So Nettie's a little nervous about this because it's not every day that the Queen of Heaven comes to the underworld to observe a funeral. Yeah. And is that where the funeral rites are traditionally done or are they done like on the mortal coil? Uh, No, they would be done in the underworld. And Hmm. because Gugulana is the husband of Erish Kagal, Mm -hmm. so his funeral service would be overseen by her. I see. Nettie tells Anana to stay where she is while he goes talk to his boss, Erish Kagal. Makes sense. Makes sense. And Erish Kagal is not pleased about the news of her sister being there because it's revealed later that Inanna is responsible for Gugulana's death because she sent him against Gilgamesh after Gilgamesh rejected Inanna's sexual advances. Okay, this is a bit of a sticky situation, and mm-hmm. I understand it. Erish Kagal tells Neti to bolt the seven gates of the underworld against Inanna, but then to let her in one gate at a time, requiring that Inanna remove one of her royal garments at each gate. I love this idea so much. I want it in a graphic novel. Yep. Like the person emerging with just the freaking clothes that she wore like just just the fabric on her back and none of the finery and yet a goddess despite it all so inanna does what is asked of her but demands an answer as to why she is to suffer the indignity as she strips off her clothing sure netty responds quiet inanna the ways of the underworld are perfect they may not be questioned as catholics we we are just yep yep fair enough uh, so Inanna makes it through the gates and enters the throne room of Erish Kagal naked and bowing low. Whew. She approaches the throne and then something happens. The Anuna, the judges of the underworld, surround her and pass judgment on her. Wow. And then her sister Erish Kagal looks at Inanna with, quote, the eye of death and strikes Inanna down with death. And kills her? Yep. Anana's corpse is then hung from a hook on the wall of the throne room. Wow, this is some serious vengeance, my yeah. dude. Well, I mean, if someone sent your husband to die over, like, 
her, someone not like wanting to date her. Now, wait, did she send the husband to like avenge her upon Gilgamesh or yes. did she send him to like die instead of Gilgamesh somewhere? No, she sent him against Gilgamesh, but because Gilgamesh was a great hero, yeah, he like, slaughtered him. Obby, right. Yeah. Huh. I'm having some like weighing of the feather, you know, Egyptian sort of yes. vibes Yes. Um, interestingly, uh, there's a lot of cross-pollination between ideas of the underworld in Sumerian mythology or Mesopotamian mythology and Egyptian mythology. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, they're both very physical uh, underworlds. Yeah. 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 Which is interesting, like Mesopotamian mythology uh, or underworld as shown in the Epic of Gilgamesh. It's really interesting. The dead eat dirt and wear feathers. Hmm. Like that's the description of the underworld. Wow. Yeah, it's really weird. Meanwhile... Ninshabar is waiting three days and three nights for Inanna to return. But when she does not, the messenger goddess rushes to Enki for help. Enki gives her two servants known as Gala. Who Enki's are... like, I got no power left, but here's some servants. <laughs> no, he, he, he still has power, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's, uh, you know, he just doesn't have the, the meh anymore. So Enki gives her two servants known as Gala, who are androgynous demons, uh, to help Ninshabar return Inanna to Earth. Um, aesthetic androgynous demons, get at me. <laughs> I want to just search out Tumblr tag right now. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, so the Gala enter the underworld and attach themselves to Erish Kagal, who is apparently in labor at this point. Oh, Jesus. It's weird because the way that they talk about it in the story, it's it's implied that she's in labor, but it's not outright said. Like, she's in pain. She's in a position one would be in when they right. give birth, like, on her back with her legs up. Huh. Um, it's really, really interesting. But they don't explain why or how. And they don't really discuss the, like, after effects of this. Do you think it was somewhat of a, like, societal propriety, like, we don't really discuss these kinds of things? Right. Or more of a, like, this is a person in power and they're in a vulnerable state and we're just kind of going to allude to that? I think that, I, I, I honestly don't know. It could go either way. Yeah. I'm curious if any people have studied Sumerian history um, and culture have a have a take on that. I bet Jim does. <laughs> shout out to jim shout out to jim who always brings the facts and oh, the humor man. and the puns jim and thea tweeting on myth chat monday is honestly like the highlight of my week it's just my favorite thing in the world did you see jim uh in our facebook group someone was asking for uh D, D suggestions for like oh, I did. cryptid based summer camp stuff yep. jim and eric just came the fuck out with answers for that and it was great yeah if you're not in our facebook group we're at facebook.com slash groups slash spirits podcast or you can just search so for us much fun so much fun people tell their urban like if you sent us an email go back into your sent folder copy the email and paste it into our facebook group people are gonna love it mm -hmm. it's really really good anyway <sighs> sorry so the gala sympathize with the queen's pains and she offers them a gift for their empathy uh Ooh, the gala respond good it's good tactic yeah uh the gala respond that they wish for the corpse and erish kagal gives it to them without question I hope a resurrection's in order. Uh, but the Gala, the Gala then revive Inanna with food and water of life, which huh. I think that they got from uh, Enki, but I can't remember I would exactly. Yeah, or her garden somewhere. Yeah. As we learned from the story of Persephone, though, someone who has wound up in the underworld cannot easily leave it. Yeah. Someone had to take Inanna's place in the underworld, and the Gala leave her at the entrance so that they might find a substitute for her on Earth. Fair enough. First, they try to take Nunshabar, uh, then Inanna's sons, Shara and Lula, and even her beautician, Kara. Uh, oh, no. Which they're is like great that she has a beautician. Around. Yeah, they're like, who's closest to us? Who lives in the mansion? Um, I kind of love that a goddess has a beautician. I love it so much. It's so, it's so cool. I love it so much. Like, okay. she, she's so much of a person. Like, she, yeah. like, 
ages. She goes through phases of her life. She's like romantic in the knot. She has like physical needs. I just, I love it so much. Yeah, it's really great. But Anana prevents any of them from being taken because they are all in mourning clothes when the uh, gala come for them. Oh. But then the gala come upon Inanna's husband, Numuzi, uh, and find that he is dressed in shining garments and sitting on his magnificent throne. My dude. And Inanna is pissed <laughs> and has the demon seize him. Oh my gosh. Uh, so Dumuzi appeals to Utu for help and is transformed into a snake in order to escape, but eventually is caught and carried away to the underworld. Uh, Dumuzi's sister, Geshtinana, volunteers herself to go in Dumuzi's place and is decreed that Dumuzi would spend half of the year in the underworld and Geshtinana would spend the other half. Uh, and yes, this is how the Sumerians explained why seasons happen. I mean, good sister. And also I'm digging the uh, the vibes here. Yeah. And then Anana is able to return to the world of the living. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's like, that's a return that isn't without consequences. And we've talked before about how much I love systems of magic that have really physical components of like we are transforming energy from a source into a different form. Yeah. Um, like in the Dresden Files, like in The Magicians, as problematic as that book is, I think, mm-hmm. um, there's also just really good senses of like magic is like a physical exertion. Yeah. Um, and you love like a good alchemy, alchemy too. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Jinx. But I love that this return from death leaves its mark on you. Yes. Yeah. And I love a goddess who has a story arc who grows as the mythology is told. You know what I mean? Because you said that she was kind of early in some of those stories, like a maiden, you know, pre-marriage, getting her powers. Like it's it's a whole comic book arc. I mentioned at the start kind of a graphic novel. And I've been thinking about that the whole time, that she has an origin story and she has Mm -hmm. a plot arc and she has, you know, redeemed by her friends at the end of it. And it's really interesting because I think the reason that we get so much of this is because of her patron, because of her, because of her poetry telling high priestess, the reason that we're able to tell these stories and remember them and have them accounted for is because of one woman's work. How cool is that? That is so incredible, especially when like the story of history is a story of like men who have dominated other cultures, you Mm -hmm. know, to have this whole narrative that was shaped and uh, archived, you know, by a woman is so incredible. Yeah. This is one of my favorite stories exactly for that reason. Yeah. Because it feels modern in its telling almost because of how human Inanna feels in the stories. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't feel like this was a story that was told in 1900 BCE. You know what I mean? Yeah, truly. I mean, in in some of the ways, like you describe some of the, you know, again, we're theater kids. So we studied um, like the mystery plays and we studied Mm -hmm. like ancient Greek theater. And in some of those, it's like, okay, well, I get at themes like love and loss and murder and, you know, usurping the throne. Human experiences. Yes. But they're sort of like the archetypes of human experiences. Mm -hmm. And we don't really get into the like individual character driven like i identify with someone else's specific story and not the like archetype of that story until like post freudian you know kind of texts in the 19th and 20th centuries and so to see something that is so old and also so like an individual experience like she doesn't she isn't like the ideal of beauty right or the ideal of strength or has the ideal marriage like she didn't want her spouse they like had a had an argument they had a time they like had certain chemistry and not other kinds of chemistry and you know they have ups and downs and like that is so much more relatable than a kind of platonic idyllic you know shape or outline of a thing yeah no i i love this story for all of its faults and 
you know, it's, you don't get a story where the God feels so human very often and it's wonderful. And it's, I, I'm just so glad to be able to tell it to you, Amanda, yeah. and to tell it to our listeners. I know. And thank you for choosing a story with poetry in it for me. Always. I love the images. I love all the clothing. I love that she had a staff beautician. Incredible. It's great. Ah, uh, so good. Man, Sumeria. Really under, underappreciated in, uh, in our historical education, mm-hmm. at least. Well, I'm glad we, we were able to tell it. Don't get stuck in the underworld. Think when you go on a date with somebody. This and, is a farmer or a cowman. And stay creepy. And stay cool. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Spirits Podcast. We also have all our episodes, collaborations, and guest appearances, plus merch, on our website, spiritspodcast.com. Come on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. Throw us as little as $1 and get access to audio extras, recipe cards, director's commentaries, and patron-only live streams. And hey, if you like the show, please share us with your friends. That is the best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.